0: This is the reading from John 14, <clears throat> 1 to 14. Now, this starting piece is where Jesus is talking to his disciples. It's a conversation he was having with them. It's a reading that starts, "'Do not let your hearts be troubled. "'You believe in God. "'Believe also in me. "'My Father's house has many rooms.' If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father, and that Father is in me. The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it.
1: Well, friends, it's uh, lovely to be here and to get back into John's Gospel. Um, But the question that this passage opens up for us is, what's troubling your heart at the moment? Um, All of us will have a different answer to that. What is it for you? There are many options. Um, uh, uh, the many options that kind of get seem to be multiplied in our hyperconnected age, right? Um, uh, as, someone's, uh, as, as someone has called it, the age of anxiety. Uh, perhaps for you, it's kind of the big social, political things going on, that or um, ecological trends that just weigh on you. Maybe for you, it's more personal struggles, um, things that are happening in your own life. Um, maybe you resonate with this. I thought I'd uh, chuck up another Charlie Brown cartoon. Maybe you resonate with old Charlie. Oh, you look kind of depressed, Charlie Brown. I worry about school a lot, he says. I also worry about my worrying about so much about school. My anxieties have anxieties. <laughs> maybe you resonate with that, and even your anxieties have anxieties. Uh, maybe that's not you right now, but you can identify with that in the past. Uh, Or what will be in the future? Um, If the stats are right, these kind of issues will be live issues for many, many of us here. Well, we're going to reflect on these incredible words of Jesus today um, that we have had read for us. Incredible words. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Uh, We're going to see in a moment that there was a particular trouble that Jesus was talking to his disciples about. A particular trouble he was wanting them to guard against. But what Jesus says here gives us a framework that we can think about any of our troubles within. A framework to think about all of our troubles. I'm going to pray for us though before we dive in. Our God and Father, we do confess to you today the troubles on our hearts. Oh Lord, we, um, we ask your help now as we hear your word, that by your spirit you might move in us and take your word and plant it deep in us. Um, please grow within us the kind of confident faith that we see pictured here. Um, and we pray that for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so but before we get into John 14 itself, I thought it might be helpful because this is the first sermon in, uh, we're rebooting this series through John's Gospel that we've been working through for a number of years now. Um I think it's been quite a while. So what we'll do is we'll just have a quick recap of the structure of John. Uh, and there'll be um, some uh, uh, up on the screen there. You can see if you were here for uh, the last kind of sections, this may be familiar. It up, opens up in chapter one with his introduction, Christ, the eternal word who makes God known. Uh, and then it goes, um, the, the book of John itself is split into really two main sections. The first half, what gets called the book of signs, and there's all these so these seven signs scattered throughout the first half of John's Gospel, where the Word shows his glory as the Messiah. Uh, and then that moves into the second half of the book, what gets called the Book of Glory. So the first half, these, all these signs that point to who Jesus is and what he's about to do. Uh, and in this Book of Glory, which tells of how Jesus will be glorified in his death and resurrection. And there's a final chapter at the end, which we'll get to. Um, after Easter, um, uh, that's where Jesus commissions his disciples. Um, What is really important to know with John's Gospel, though, and maybe you're familiar with this, uh, John really helps us out to figure out what's going on and why he's writing it. Right at the end of his Gospel, he writes this in chapter 20. Uh, The reason that he writes his, uh, his story of Jesus is that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So this whole book, uh, it's so rich, so deep, um, we're, we're going through it really slowly, but the whole of it was written for one purpose, so that you would believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing that, you would have life in his name. In other words, this is written so that you would become a Christian and stay a Christian, someone who entrusts your life to this person, the Lord Jesus. The promise of God- John's Gospel is those who do that will have life in his name. But something really interesting happens uh, in this second half of the book, um, and the next slide shows a little bit about it. Something really interesting happens as you turn, go into this second half of the book. There's a like a narrowing in, a zooming in of focus. Um, the first half is kind of set over a few years. The last half of the book is set over just a few days. The first half is all these public things that Jesus is doing. This last half, it really narrows into this private conversation, as we heard, this conversation between Jesus and his disciples. So, um, it's a small gathering where Jesus is preparing them for what is about to happen. Um, so over the next few months, we're going to be in John's Gospel right up till Easter. Uh, and over the next couple of months as we do that, we're going to basically be camping in the night before Jesus died. There's last words of Jesus to his disciples, so we're going to camp there and meditate and reflect on um, uh, these words of Jesus and then the story of Jesus' own crucifixion uh, and then on Easter Sunday, look at the great account of Jesus' resurrection. So that's that's what's coming up. Um, We're staying these final hours all the way up to Easter. Um, But something's happened, so on to John 14 then. Something's happened just before John 14 that kind of sets the scene. Um, uh, If you've got your Bible, it's not on the screen, but you can um, just flick your eye if you have your Bible open or you grabbed one on the way in. Uh, You can see there at the end of chapter 13 right before our passage, uh, Jesus is telling his disciples he's about to go away um, and they can't come with him yet. But he also predicts that one of his disciples, Peter, is going to disown him, he's going to reject him, uh, deny he even knew him. Um, it's a bit of a sobering scene um, in the gospel. Um, Judas has just left to betray Jesus, so there's a kind of darkness about it. And it's into that scene into that scene that Jesus says to his disciples gathered there, do not let your hearts be troubled. Um, He's looking ahead to his betrayal, to where he's going to be deserted uh, by his closest friends, uh, where he's going to be executed on a Roman cross. He knows all that's coming, but he still says to these people gathered around him, do not let your hearts be troubled. He wants them to... to bring this to mind after everything's happened. He wants them to know none of it is outside of the Father's control. None of it. It can be a bit hard to read the tone here. Um, I think it would be a mistake to read this as a bit of a harsh command of Jesus. Um, Don't you do it, okay? Don't you dare let your hearts be troubled. Uh, Don't do it. Don't ever even feel anxiety. It seems to me that 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 is what's going to lead you to a kind of Charlie Brown response. Um, Being anxious about your anxieties. I know I shouldn't be anxious, and now I'm anxious about being anxious. Uh, um, Jesus here is comforting his disciples, not berating them. He's comforting his disciples. Uh, He recognizes their troubled hearts, and he's inviting them, he's urging them, to set their hearts at ease. But how could he do that, right? How could they do that? How could, how could you do that today? Um, is this just Jesus saying, look, I know you've, there's all these troubles going on. You're about to face lots of troubles. Just ignore your troubles and put on a happy face. Is that what Jesus is going on about here, what he's saying? Well, no, it's not. Jesus is saying something much more powerful here much more powerful. He's not saying just sort of paper over your troubles and ignore them and put on a happy face. That's not what's going on. He's saying, come to the one who is bigger than your troubles. Come to me and trust me. That's what Jesus goes on to say. He says, you believe in God, believe also in me. In the Bible, that word believe or to believe or to have faith Um, that's not kind of talking about what sometimes we think of which is kind of a blind ignorant kind of a blind ignorance or like just a vague feeling Uh, when the bible talks about faith about believing it's talking about personal trust trust in a person jesus says you believe in god believe also in me trust me that's the only way out of your troubled heart um, and what happens now is, as you kind of move through the rest of the passage, is Jesus goes through, uh, goes on to fill all of this out for them. Why can they trust him? Why, why is this um, a reasonable thing for Jesus to ask? Why can they trust him in the midst of their trouble? Um, well, Jesus goes on, verse 2. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. The whole purpose of Jesus going away is for him to come back and get them, to prepare a place for them. Uh, That's what he's doing. He's preparing a place. I used to uh, get a bit confused about this when it says Jesus uh, the old version said many mansions, if you're familiar with that. Uh, my father's house has many mansions. Um, but uh, I used to be a bit confused about Jesus going to prepare a place. You kind of have your image of him whipping out the Dyson and vacuuming the floors and making the beds. Um, something like that. What's, what's, what's he talking about going to prepare his father's house, a place for them? He's not kind of get, putting the kettle on for us. Uh, I think if we understand this in the big picture of John's Gospel, we'll see that's, that's not actually what he's talking about. That's not what's going on. Um, we've already touched on this, but the whole of John's Gospel, all of it sort of surges towards this these final hours of Jesus' life, to his cross, to, the, to his death and resurrection. Now, that's the focal point of the whole book, And when Jesus, at this point, tells his disciples that he's going away to prepare a place for them, he's looking ahead to that moment. Um, He uses this image of the Father's house to talk about eternal life with God. uh, And preparing the way for them meant him going to the cross. That's what preparing a way for them meant, where he would make it possible... For sinful people to be in a loving relationship with a holy God. That's Him preparing the way for His people to be welcomed into His Father's house. Uh, and that means for us, see what that means? Uh, it means that we're in actually an even better position than those first disciples that Jesus is talking to here. Um, he was looking forward to where He would prepare their place at the cross. We look back on that completed work. The place is already prepared. And Jesus promises to return and take you there. a the promise that you can know is certain because he rose from the dead. So friends, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in this one. Trust in Jesus, the one who has made a way for you at the cross it's incredible to think, isn't it, um, when it says Jesus will return so that we might be with Him. Incredible to think that Jesus wants you to be with Him. He wants you to. He considers heaven in some way incomplete without you there with Him. That He wants relationship with you. So trust Him. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And He goes on. Uh, in verse 4 he says that, that that line you know the way to the place where I'm going and then Thomas pipes up uh, he starts to kind of argue with Jesus a bit he says you know and you, you've got to have a bit of sympathy for Thomas right he says uh, "Lord, we don't know where you're going so how can we know the way uh, Jesus what are you talking about he's confused uh, he thinks Jesus is talking about some kind of special way or some secret place that he might be going to And Jesus answers with some of these these words that are some of the most famous and some of the most controversial words in the whole Bible. Uh, Jesus says to Thomas, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Can you see how this claim of Jesus is at its heart good news? It's wonderful news. The way to God isn't some secret path that only the really clever people can find or the really good people can go on. Jesus doesn't say, I will show you a way. And if you're kind of really clever, you'll be able to figure it out. He says, I am the way. He says, Jesus says to Thomas, actually, Thomas, you do, you do know the way. You do know the way because you know me. The way to God isn't some kind of set of special rules to follow. It's not a secret path to walk. The way to God is a person. The way to the Father is through his Son. And that is really good news. It's good news because it means that that way is open to everyone. Because everyone can know Jesus. Everyone can know him. You don't need to pass a test. Uh, You just need to come with the empty hands of faith and trust this person. Trust what he says. Trust what he has done for you. If you know him, you, you do know the way because he is the way. So, friends, do not let your hearts be troubled. Jesus is the way. He doesn't show us the way. He is the way. But he also doesn't say, I am a way, does he? Um, He says he is the way. And this is where Jesus' claim really cuts sharply against our culture, right? Um, There's a popular parable told, I don't know if you've heard it, uh, told of an elephant in the middle of a dark room. Um, and the the elephant has all sorts of people gathering around it, each touching a different part of the elephant, and they're all trying to describe what they're they're touching. One person touches the tail and says, "Mm, this creature is skinny and furry. Uh, Another touches the leg and says, no, 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 no! this creature is strong and thick. Another touches the tusk and says, no, 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 this creature is hard and pointy. And it goes on. Uh, And the point of the parable is that each of the people were touching a part of a bigger truth, uh, they were all touching the elephant, uh, but they could only see a part of it, and they were all right in their own way. And the, uh, the application gets made to world religions of the world. They're all grasping at one part of the truth, um, each of them right in their own way. And it, it sound, that sounds ve- it's appealing, isn't it, to postmodern ears especially? But friends, it falls down. Uh, it falls down on one level. You just can't hold to it if you just have even a basic understanding of the fundamental claims of different world religions. Um, Christianity claims that the historic death of Jesus on the cross is at the central point of all history. Um, Islam claims that Jesus could never and did never die. Uh, So two logically incompatible claims. They can't both be right. Uh, And it doesn't actually honour those who hold to either religion to ignore those kind of differences, does it? On a deeper level, though, there is a kind of arrogance about this claim. You see what's going on here. The only way that you can say this, that all these different religions are grasping a part of the elephant, the only way that you can claim this is if you think you see the whole elephant. (laughs) Uh, If somehow... uh, The only way you can claim it is if somehow you've achieved a level of enlightenment... (laughs) that has escaped the vast majority of people who have ever lived. (laughs) But what right do you have to claim that? So I think it fails on a number of different levels, but most importantly, can you see how Jesus himself would have none of it? Uh, He would reject that way of thinking about how you know God. This has a kind of theological outworking in something called universalism, Uh, An understanding that um, at the end of the day, everyone makes it to heaven. But Jesus is clear here, isn't he? Jesus is clear. He would reject that way of thinking about how you know God. There are not many ways of grasping at the elephants. To use a different metaphor, there aren't lots of paths going up the mountain. All of our attempts to know God on our own leave us in the dark. The Gospel of Jesus proclaims not just one more way up the mountain, not just another way to God. It proclaims the good news that God has come down to us in the person of his Son. He has done for us what we could never do for ourselves. He has come to us in our darkness to give us lights. He has come to us in our sin and in our death to bring us forgiveness and life. He is the way, the only way. That's why Christians care about helping people come to know Jesus. That's why if you're not yet a Christian here, your Christian friends invite you along to things like this and maybe to the Life Explored course coming up. That's why we partner with the Church Missionary Society to see a whole world that knows Jesus because Jesus brings great news wonderful news that god has come down to us in the person of his son and if you know him if you trust him your place in his father's house is already secure guaranteed so friends don't let your hearts be troubled well, so much there, isn't there? We're only halfway through the <laughs> passage. Uh, there's, there's too much here to do justice to completely. But I do want to kind of um, quickly work through what else is in this passage because there's important things for us to hear. Uh, Jesus goes on to give another reason why um, why we cannot let our hearts be troubled. The third reason Jesus gives uh, is that he, not only is he preparing a place, not only um, do we already know the way if we know him, but Jesus goes on to say, "If we know him, we already know the Father. We know the Father." Verse seven: "If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him, and have seen him." Um, this this kind of keeps happening, right? The disciples don't <laughs> like uh, we we, uh, we kind of can relate to them. They don't quite get it. Another disciple ch- chimes in. Philip says um lord show us the father and that'll be enough for us and it, again it's hard to read tone but maybe jesus gets a little frustrated at this jesus answers don't you know me philip even after i've been among you such a long time um, anyone who anyone who has seen me has seen the father how can you say show us the father Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I don't speak on my own authority. Rather, it's the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Again, there's so much in there. But we're glimpsing here at the heart of the universe. Um, We're glimpsing at the heart of the Christian faith. Uh, Jesus reveals God, not just a part of God, but God, truly and fully. Um, He reveals God as Trinity, what Christian theologians have termed Trinity. Um, God is three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in one divine essence. Uh, Each of them fully God, each acting in their own particular way, the Father sending the Son and the Spirit, the Son accomplishing salvation, the Spirit applying salvation, uh, each acting in their own way, but each acting in perfect unity as one God, the one God who exists eternally in a community of love. Uh, It's a a mystery. (laughs) It's something that we believe, not because we can figure it all out in our heads. We believe it because of Jesus, actually because it's revealed to us. Not because it's the most kind of logical option we can figure out with our limited minds. But what Jesus says here is an incredible claim. See what's going on. Philip wants to kind of um, look around Jesus. He wants to look behind Jesus, maybe through Jesus, to the real deal, to see what God is really like. And Jesus says, no don't you see Philip if you want to see the father all you need to do is look at me not through me not around me I and the father are one to see me is to see God Jesus says if you know me you know the way to eternal life with God if you know me you know God himself there's no surprises waiting for you and that's astounding right um, think about the character of Jesus, even in the last few chapters of John's Gospel. Here is one who was washed, who was bent down in humility to wash his disciples' feet, to even wash the feet of the one who would betray him, who he knew would betray him. Uh, here is the one who was a- about to pour himself out because of his love for his people and his world, even to death. And Jesus says that he is what God is like. That God loves you like that because Jesus has loved you like that so friends do not let your hearts be troubled (laughs) well there's a final couple of verses here and again (laughs) there's lots in them but uh, do you notice the big turnaround there's a big turnaround from the start of this passage to these final verses um at the start of the passage, the disciples he anticipates their, their troubled hearts, their anxiety, their concern. And you see where he lands? He wants these disciples to go from fearful anxiety from this troubled heart to be transformed into those who would live lives of confident dependence on him. Lives of lives with a purpose. Um uh, just uh, this week I was reading a, a new study that's come out. Uh, it's a UK research of 16 to 25-year-olds and it had really sobering and sad statistics. Um, 18% of, it's a significant study, so sort of taken as representative. 18% of the people who answered said they disagree with the statement, I find life really worth living. Let's think about that for a moment. So, almost 20%, almost a fifth of the people who answered said they couldn't agree with the statement, I find life worth living. Wow. 27%, so over a quarter, disagreed with the statement, I feel my life has a sense of purpose. That's pretty sobering, isn't it? Over a quarter of the people who responded couldn't say that they felt that their life had any sense of purpose to it. That is tragic. It's tragic, um, but I don't think it's actually surprising that when we cut ourselves off from eternal realities, when our horizon is taken up with nothing bigger than being true to myself um i don't I don't think it's that surprising, actually, but Jesus invites us invites you to something far better than that, far bigger, verse twelve, very truly, I tell you. Whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask for anything in my name and I will do it. Jesus says that those who believe in him will do his works now, there's uh, heaps written about this, lots of kind of different interpretations about what's going on, what Jesus means by this. Um, should we expect to raise people from the dead like he did to Lazarus? Uh, there's lots of different kind of views that are out there. I'm just going to quickly sketch mine, and you can sort of take me to task later or ask me questions about it later, um, but just be aware of that. Um, in the Bible's story, spectacular miracles seem to cluster around the big moments of God's redemptive plan, the big moments of his redemptive history. So like the exodus in the Old Testament, uh, the, the the kind of high point of his salvation of his people, and again here with you know, the, the, the true and new exodus with, with Jesus himself. Uh, the early church saw this too. Uh, especially in the book of Acts, although you don't, get, you don't actually get anything quite like what Jesus was doing. Um, by the time you get to uh, a little bit further on in the Bible, you, the kind of more settled position that's described in the letters of the New Testament, uh, these extraordinary miracles, although they don't disappear, they seem to have a lessening place in the life of God's people. And I think that's actually exactly what Jesus is talking about here when he says that they will do even greater things than these. Um, All through John's Gospel, Jesus' miracles are called signs. We've seen this on the way through, they're signs. And the important thing about a sign is, uh, not the sign itself, but what it points towards. Uh, They point away from themselves to a greater reality. Uh, The reality of what Jesus would do at the cross. And in his own resurrection what could be greater than raising Lazarus from the dead Uh, calling out to a dead body and making it live well according to John's gospel there's something that's far greater than that far greater when spiritually dead people hear the gospel and come to new unbreakable eternal life in Christ that is the real spectacular miracle that those other miracles were pointing towards were shadows of. And so when Jesus says you'll do greater things than these, I take it that that's what he's talking about. He's talking about taking part in that mission, taking this life giving word of the gospel to the whole world. Um, I think we get things wrong when we see what goes on when God, by his Spirit, gives someone new life when we see that as a lesser miracle and not as an impressive thing than other things, that is the real deal. That is what Jesus was all on about. That's what the Spirit is on about, as we'll see in coming weeks. Uh, That was what the apostles took up and focused on so that Paul could say that his greatest ambition was to take the gospel to where it hadn't been heard. That was the greatest work they could take part in because that is the greatest miracle of God, as he takes people who were his enemies and by his spirit, through his word, turns them into his friends. And Jesus promises that as we do this, as we kind of take part in that incredible, miraculous work, uh, that then whatever we ask in his name, he will do it. I, I, I take it that he's on the same theme here. Um, To say in his name doesn't mean tacking on in Jesus' name like a kind of magical incantation, as if if we say that, then he's bound to do whatever he wants. Um, In the Bible, someone's name was their character. Someone's name is is their character. To do something in someone's name was to do something according to their character, their plans, their purposes. And Jesus is saying, when you get that, The gospel is this greater work. When you get what I am on about, you'll pray according to that. And when you pray for Jesus to be honoured and lifted up, for his name to be proclaimed, and for people to turn to him in faith and be given new life, he will do it, he says. He will do it. That is to pray in his name, according to his purposes, his heart, his character. There are, of course, times when Jesus says, not yet. There are other times when we might think we're asking something in his name, but it's not really. It's actually in our own name. But we shouldn't miss the tone of confidence here that Jesus wants us to have. He wants us to be confident askers. Once we get in line with his purposes and plans for the universe, for the world, for Victor Harbour, for our church family, he says, pray boldly in line with that in my name. And I will do it. So friends, Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. And here's a better way. Get on with my work, with the greatest thing of living out and promoting the gospel, depending on me in prayer, um, with confidence that I will do as I've promised. I'll come and take you to be with me and I'll continue to be work even at work even now according to my good and eternal purposes so friends what troubles your hearts that's the question we started with it's the question we're going to end with what troubles your hearts today you have an opportunity to come to this lord to this one to jesus the one who at the cross has, pr- has made a way open for everyone to come to God. Uh, the one who has promised will return to gather up his people. The one who has incredible work to do here and now of giving people new life. Today you have an opportunity to come to him, to take all of your brokenness, all of your betrayals, your denials, your fears, and hand them to him. He's big enough to take them. By faith, come to him. Lay those troubles at the foot of the cross. Trust him. He's already prepared your place. Don't replace fear, though, with a vacuum, with nothing. Replace your anxieties with this kind of gospel-shaped purpose. Confident in Christ, living, praying, working in his name to see his gospel continue to change lives for the Father's glory. I pray for us. Our God, thank you so much for your word. Father, we ask your help as we seek to understand it. We thank you for the promise of your spirit, the precious gift of your spirit that helps us. I pray for wisdom and humility um, Jesus, you tell us to ask you anything in your name. Um, Lord, we pray we, we pray that you might continue your good, life-giving, miraculous work here in any way that you see fit. Uh, Lord, we ask that as we continue to live out the gospel, as we continue to share it, to proclaim it, to support it, to work for it, we ask that you might do what you have promised to bring people to yourself. Uh, We ask that for your glory, so that when we um, join with all the saints on the last day, we will see many, many friends who have come to know you through the work of the gospel here. And we pray that for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.